Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Today, we are talking about Microsoft Azure and Terraform, but we're not going it alone. We have brought on two excellent guests who know a lot about that area. We've got Mark Gray and Stephen Ma. They are both product managers at Microsoft, and they are part of the Azure Terraform team. And they told us about a couple newish things that they've got in the works over there, right, Ethan? the Terraform export tool and the Azure API provider. Uh, we get into those things and talk about the community that you can join if you're looking to dig into these features for more and uh, find out from other folks that are using it, how they're using these tools. And I'm a member of that community, so you can even ping me on that community and ask me questions and I'll answer them, maybe, or at least I'll try. Well, enjoy this episode with Stephen Ma and Mark Gray from Microsoft. Stephen and Mark, welcome to Day 2 Cloud. And Stephen, why don't you go first? Can you introduce yourself to the good listeners out there? Tell them a little bit about what you do at Microsoft. Sure. Uh, thanks for having us. Um, my name is Stephen, and I'm a product manager for Terraform on Azure. Um, Mark and I both manage everything related to the Azure Arm provider, uh, any sorts of investments in the uh, Microsoft side towards making your Terraform on Azure experience as great as it could humanly be. Awesome. And Mark, what about you? So like Steven said, we own Terraform on Azure. We're part of a broader team called the Azure Deployments team, which owns all of the declarative configuration tooling and processes for Azure. So think Ansible, Terraform, as well as native things like ARM templates and biceps and, and, and those types of things. So we really focus on making sure that customers have a great experience no matter what tool they choose to manage Azure with. Yeah, and I have to say, it's a little embarrassing how long it took me to figure out that bicep was a play on ARM in, in the ARM <laughs> templates. That was embarrassingly long before I was like, oh, that's what they called it bicep. <laughs> oh, but embarrassment aside, it's really cool how uh, Microsoft has worked to support these third-party services and not just gone all in on bicep and ARM templates. And if you want to use our cloud, use our tools, but I think there is a little bit of confusion in terms of the relationship between Microsoft and HashiCorp and who's responsible for maintaining which components. So, uh, Mark, what is the, the relationship and who is responsible for maintaining the provider and some of the other features? We actually work very closely with HashiCorp. Uh, we're essentially a, a big happy virtual team that works together on making sure that the Azure M provider uh, covers everything in Azure. So as most people know, HashiCorp owns Terraform. They have made the decision early on to kind of be the primary owners and maintainers of the major cloud providers. So they are the owners of the Azure M provider, the Google provider, and the AWS provider, um, but they partner with all three of their clouds, including us, to make sure that we bring our Azure expertise to the development of the provider. And like I said, we meet with them. I, I, I don't know if a day goes by that I don't have a meeting with HashiCorp. So it's it's a really close relationship, and our both of our goals are to make sure that customers can actually succeed using Terraform on Azure. Is there like an official partnership or is it kind of an informal thing like, hey, someone built a provider and hey, we like that. We should get involved. And you just kind of informally are involved with each other. Well, it's changed over time. It started as a formal partnership. We worked with HashiCorp to 
develop the provider. And we recognized over time that both HashiCorp and Microsoft have customers that are invested in Terraform. So it makes sense to have Microsoft developers and teams invest in this as well. Um, so over time, we've added more and more uh, developers and investment in this. So since that time, it's turned into a, not a, a formal partnership per se. It's more of a, both of us have skin in this game. So both of us need to make sure that this succeeds. So this has been, this tool has been around for some time and it's got a, got a future and there's new and cool things that uh, Microsoft's working on with Terraform. Why don't you uh, uh, give us a heads up on what's coming up? Awesome. Like Stephen hinted at before, we invest heavily in the Azure ARM provider, but we know that the Azure ARM provider is not the end-all be-all uh, solution or for Terraform for Azure. So there are a number of different areas that we invest in. One of the areas that we invest in relatively recently has been a tool to help customers onboard to Terraform. So a lot of customers use the portal or other tools to provision infrastructure in Azure, and we've invested in a tool to smooth that process. So if they have existing infrastructure, how do they turn that into Terraform and start managing that going forward? Um, and Steven is the primary uh, product manager for that. Um, so he'll kind of expand on that a little bit. Yeah, I, I know that one of the most common questions I get from folks that are learning about Terraform for the first time is, I already have a bunch of stuff. <laughs> That's been deployed in, in you know various clouds, including Azure. How do I start managing that with Terraform? And the answer has been painful in the past. So, uh, Stephen, what what are the key problems that you're trying to solve with the Terraform export tool? Yeah, I think what Mark mentioned at the beginning about moving your existing infrastructure and what you're talking about, Ned, that was. From day one, what we were trying to create when we created this export tool, and we wanted it to be a seamless, singular command process where I could get all of my resources in Azure configured and ready to fire up in Terraform. And I could just Terraform plan and say, hey, uh, this seems like I can go forward and just start managing it and have confidence uh, to some extent that we could trust whatever that code was. That was the whole inception of the tool. Uh, as we continue to talk to customers, what I think surprised us about the problem solving that it provided was there were customers who were well into their maturity on Terraform and Azure who also needed uh, certain solutions to be solved uh, or certain problems to be solved. And they found actually that this tool could help them with some of those problems. Uh, one of the very common ones is a solution architect who has to deal with a nasty brownfield environment that they need to somehow make sense of because their customer has 500 resources in a resource group. And we all know that's no good. But yeah. the customer says, well, I don't want to delete all that. So how do you section all of that into Terraform? And how do you make sure to provide a solution that helps them. Or I'll give you another one. A customer suddenly realizes, oh, um, I had a resource pop out of thin air from the sky and I don't know where it came from. I don't know who deployed it. I don't know why it's there, <laughs> but it's there. And I need to make sure that it's not gonna break our environment. How do I make sure that it's okay? Well, the tool actually solves that as well because they can just pull out the actual code on that resource, 
And since they manage everything in Terraform, if that code looks good, it provides for them a stable way to merge that uh, existing resource into their production Terraform configurations, into their uh, Terraform state that's securely stored on a backend. There, it, it became a lot more than just I'm moving Azure stuff to Terraform because I don't know anything about Terraform as we continue down that journey. I know it's a little winded of an answer, but hopefully that helps. Well, no, I mean, you're pulling out some different scenarios that you might use the tool for. It's not just, hey, I've got this subscription. I've been using ARM templates, but I'm right. Well, I want to use Terraform now. It sounds like that scenario is supported. I could pull my whole subscription in. You might not want to. <laughs> might want yeah. to chunk it up a little bit, but you could. But also, if I am managing stuff with Terraform, but, you know, Beatrice over in the corner decided she was going to deploy a resource group in a VNet on her own using the CLI and didn't consult anybody. And now you need to get that moved into Terraform because of course someone deployed a production app on it. Yep. Could do that too. One of the other interesting scenarios that came about from our customer conversations was a user or a cloud architect or something like that that's very familiar with Terraform. They have uh, thousands of lines of Terraform that they've written. There's a new service that's released from Azure that they're not familiar with. So because the Azure provider is an abstraction layer over Terraform, there's some learning between what you see in the portal and what uh, Terraform does. So what uh, some of these folks do is they actually go to the portal, deploy this thing in the portal, and then uh, do an export to kind of see what that configuration looks like and either change what the code that they'd already been working on to match what came out of the portal. So they kind of fix what they couldn't figure out in the Azure Room provider, and then kind of move on from there. So they actually use it as a, um, what should this thing look like? And I think the the last thing I'll say to that is my personal way I like to talk about the tool is it's a translation tool between mm -hmm. Azure and Terraform, rather than just thinking of it as export. Um, think of it as a way to help you translate between these two worlds that are very well documented, very thoroughly understood, but a lot gets lost in translation as we know. That is what we're hoping to solve rather than just simply exporting resources, translating your Azure and Terraform concepts interchangeably in a way that you can trust because it is really, really difficult to make sense of both worlds simultaneously and wield both tools at the same time. Yeah, as someone who did kind of what Mark was walking through, a new service pops up. I want to see how it's deployed. I use the portal to do it, and then I would get an ARM template at the end, and then I would try to do the translation myself, and that could be really difficult. So having a tool that will kind of do it for me, that's pretty helpful. So how does the tool work? What's the what's the workflow for getting it, running it, and and what sort of artifacts are produced by it? Yeah, so what you can do is just go over to the GitHub and, you know, check out the repo for how you'd like to install it. If you're not sure, if you have Go installed, I find that I prefer personally just installing from the Go package management uh, and then running the tool is just in the CLI. All you need to do is specify your command uh, and then you have three options. You can either export a resource, a resource group, or run a query and we're going to visit that query command because it's a little more complex than the first two. For a resource or a resource group, it's not hard. You just 
point at the resource ID for a resource. And for the resource group, you just need to specify the name. Since you're working in uh, some sort of terminal, you already have your authentication into Azure CLI or whatever subscription set. So it's just going to know, okay, well, your resource group name uh, is this and your subscription. And it will pull all the resources and also all the sub-resources. So if I have a virtual machine, that virtual machine has a virtual network and that virtual network has a subnet. And there's also some other stuff mixed in there that Azure recognizes and it will pull all that and give you a little UI that says, here's all the resources I found in Azure. Now, not all of the Azure resources exist in Terraform. So sometimes you'll see some things that are skipped, um, but we have figured out how to actually be able to figure out, okay, this is a Linux virtual machine. This is a Windows virtual machine. Here's the data disk in there as well. And then once you just press a key, it'll just import that. And what it'll end up producing when it's done is the HCL code, a state file, which you can also configure to export to a backend uh, or uh, some more advanced workflow if you're into that. And then you can also append to existing uh, backends as well uh, or existing state. And if you want to also just create HCL, um, in other words, not worry about state yet, there's an option for that too. And there's some deeper dives on that that I could totally go into for way too long, but that's, <laughs> I guess, the most fundamental uh, way to use it. So some of what you said as you were describing that workflow sounded like there maybe are some some limitations here. So what, what resources and providers are covered by the export tool? And then you know, maybe summarize that with uh, with highlighting what limitations there are we should be aware of. Yeah, so the Azure RM resources are basically really what we're currently working on uh, or what currently works. We are currently working on potentially bringing in some of AZ API, which is something that Mark is going to talk about in a second, uh, which is another provider we've been working on. Hmm. But basically, if your resource is in preview, uh, we, you can't get that in Terraform because nothing exists yet for it in Terraform. Uh, and some resources also just don't have a concept uh, within Terraform. So blob services and file services are a thing in Azure for storage accounts. They just don't exist in Terraform. They are kind of shoehorned under the storage account itself and they exist there. So those sorts of things happen. But for the most part, I would say Azure ARM resources, if they exist to the best of our ability, we want them to be able to be produced from you just pointing at that resource. And then for limitations, there's this, uh, well, I guess I should probably plug this now. Um, go read the documentation if you haven't, um, because <laughs> it goes into a lot more detail than we can on this uh, short time here. But there's a lot of weird stuff that is inherently difficult to solve between Terraform and Azure. We're the best translator we can be, but sometimes there's just not a phrase that fits. Uh, that's just how it is with languages. And I think the same thing applies here. Uh, so certain constraints exist uh, with properties and certain problems arise if you're not aware of those. And the other thing that we've found people trying to do is say, hey, if I pull on an existing app service or 
three-tiered application environment and I just redeploy that, I think I should be able to get the exact same infrastructure and it should run the exact same way. And we're telling them, no, that's not going to happen. Um, it's just too much properties and too much stuff going on for that to exactly mimic your pre-existing environment. So don't treat it as if it's going to completely just do everything the exact same behaviorally. Um, and that is, I think, the biggest limitation. Um, and that's just inherently because certain things can't be necessarily configured during that process. There are write-only properties that can only be, you know, written uh, like a password for a VM. <laughs> I can't know that just by reading the resource. So right. uh, those sort of uh, problems are, I would say, the, the limitations. Yeah, that's an interesting limitation that you brought up is when you provision an Azure VM, you do have to, well, depending on the authentication type, you could potentially pass it a password that is written somewhere, but it's not readable. I can't get back what that value is. And so Terraform can't grab that value and then put it in the config for you to use because it just doesn't know it. <laughs> right, exactly. Stephen, a quick follow-up on documentation you mentioned. Um, is that pretty complete for the Terraform export tool? We do our best to have that be as complete as possible. Um, there is an overview article, and that overview article references all the other currently existing articles. At the end, there's like a little next step section that says, hey, here's where you can explore concepts, here are a couple quick starts, and then here are some deeper dives into um, two of the capabilities. The first one is resource filtering. So we support with our query mode that I was kind of talking about, the ability to basically filter at the subscription level. So you can filter on resource type, you can filter by tags, you can filter on all sorts of different things. Uh, and it uses Azure Resource Graph query capabilities for those who are familiar in the audience. And the, the second one is talking about more advanced scenarios like the remote backends and all that good stuff. Gotcha. So if I did have a subscription and I wanted to just pull in everything that was tagged with the development environment, uh, I could do that and it would find all of those resources in my subscription. Yes. And actually, as we're continuing to put out the new product leases and we're getting new issues opened up, we've realized, oh, there are new things that we could always be adding. Uh, I actually need to update them because V0.12 came out and there's a little bit of some changes involved with that. And I think we're also planning to add a quick start to talk about that exact scenario. So let me pull all my resources at that level for ABC purpose. Okay. So speaking of new releases, uh, any brand new features or, or uh, things that you've added to the tool since people might have last looked at it? I know it iterates pretty quickly. Yeah, it, it really depends on when you looked at the tool. If you looked at it on 0.1, then you would be surprised that we even could identify a virtual machine now. So I guess if you've been out of the loop for that long, hurrah, we can know what a virtual machine is. But 0.12 enabled support for uh, non-Azure public cloud environments. So if you have something like uh, Azure China or some sort of government environment, you could hmm. specify that. We also have been working on, as I mentioned before, potentially supporting AZ API, especially to address that scenario that Mark mentioned of, hey, I have no clue how this service works. Well, hey, it, now I can see the AZ API for it, and hopefully that would work for me. Gotcha. Well, that actually rolls us quite nicely into the next topic. So, uh, Mark, there's, a, there's another provider on the block, 
and it's the AZ API provider. Can you tell us what is the the key problem that this provider is meant to solve? We kind of alluded to it a little bit, but if you could expand yeah. on that and what it does. So the AZ API provider is a very thin layer over the Azure APIs. So it, it, it's a direct reflection of what is exposed in the Azure APIs. The problem that it solves is um, the Azure M provider is what we refer to as a convenience layer. Um, so customers love Terraform because it's easy to use. And the Azure M provider is a big reason for that. With that said, the biggest piece of feedback that we get from customers is uh, when is service X or feature X going to be covered by the Azure M provider. And we also have scenarios where the Azure M provider primarily covers GA functionality. So functionality for features and services that are released and stable, where a lot of customers might need access to preview functionality, either public preview or private preview functionality. And for the most part, the Azure M provider doesn't cover that because of state and the functionality needs to be stable. So there won't be breaking changes and all, and all that. Um, so the AZ API provider, because it does cover, it's a thin layer over the API and covers every version of the API. So it's up to the user to specify, I want this specific version of this API. They can manage any feature or functionality in Azure. And what's really one of the, the, the most powerful and interesting things about that is, you know, customers don't have to be all in on AZ API or Azure RM. They can kind of use them intermingled, uh, essentially. So uh, as an example, um, if you have AKS and you're managing AKS, AKS is changing very rapidly. So new features come out on that pretty regularly. If a new feature comes out in preview that you just have to have access to and manage that, you can use the AZ API provider to augment the Azure M provider. Um, so you can manage that single feature uh, of AKS using AZ API and the rest of it using Azure M. And then once the Azure M provider supports that, you can move over to using that. So help us understand how the Azure API provider fits in versus just hitting the API directly. What, what are the scenarios where I'd want to use the AZ API provider? I mentioned a couple of them. So uh, essentially it comes down to if there's functionality missing from the Azure provider, the AZ API provider will give you access to manage those things. There are a number of reasons why functionality might be missing from the Azure provider. The preview functionality is one of those scenarios. Another scenario is just we haven't implemented it yet. There's a lot of manual effort that currently has to happen for us to add that convenience layer. Um, and sometimes uh, if it's a feature or a service that's just not used by a ton of customers, um, we might not, might not have that implemented yet. So you can actually use the AZ API provider to, to manage that. So. Yeah, I'm making calls out to to the API as opposed to as opposed to ARM. Okay, you just you did say that, Mark, but it didn't hit me right the first time. Didn't get yeah, in the that's all good. into the gray matter. Gotcha. Now, thank you. Yeah, yeah, and it keeps you in the world of Terraform. You can still use Terraform yeah. to manage everything. You just yeah, plug it into and a everything provider. is safe to state. So it's not like you uh, like some of the other workarounds where you could use an ARM template in the Azure ARM provider, where you're just in this world that. Uh, you're, you're kind of using Terraform, but you're not because it doesn't know the state of the thing. It leaves that up to Azure. With the Azure AZ API provider, all of that state is saved 
in the Terraform state. So mm -hmm. if you make a change to that thing, Terraform is going to say, you changed this property, therefore I need to date and change this thing. So. Right. Yeah. That that was my previous workaround before this provider existed was, oh, okay. Well, the ARM template is also sort of a thin veneer over the API and that covers basically everything. So if I needed to deploy something, I'd use that template, but yeah. Terraform just knows the status of the template. It doesn't have any understanding of the underlying resources that were deployed. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a better solution. So how does it actually work? Like, I know we, we can't show people a code example, but sort of... Yeah, yeah. How does the the how do the resources work in the AZ API provider, and how do I find out how to leverage it, like documentation wise? Yep. So we have the um, developer hub for Terraform, and like the export tool, we have documentation there for the AZ API provider. That's kind of the overview documentation, what it is, how to use it, all of that stuff. The reference documentation, like you have for the Azure ARM provider. That is in the uh, HashiCorp registry, just like all of their other providers. So if you want to know the details about what resources are exposed, what properties can be used in those, we have that documentation. And then we have a pointer from the developer hub as well to all of the schema for the resources. So the way that AZ API works is it's a generic provider. So it exposes some high-level properties like region and type and parent ID and things like that. So you can it target um, the type of API that you want to manage, and then you essentially pass the body of the, the REST request in there. And that sounds incredibly complicated. And I understand that because customers that are using Terraform don't want to go figure out what the body of a REST request is or even care what a REST request is. <laughs> right. So we have created a, a language server and a Visual Studio Code extension. So when you're in Visual Studio Code using this extension and you specify, I want to manage AKS with API version uh, 12 or whatever, the language server will understand what that is, what the schema of that is, and give you syntax highlighting and uh, all of that stuff that you've become accustomed to with the Terraform and, and other languages. So you can auto-complete, you can get syntax highlighting and all of that for the specific uh, resource that you're going to manage. You might have just answered my next question, Mark, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because uh, you, you made the point earlier that the Azure API provider, one of the reasons I'm going to use is I can get at anything the api provider will cover what the arm provider does not so why do i even want to bother with the arm provider if i can just do it all with the api provider it, it might be because of what you just said it's a little clunky to get the payload in on the arm on the uh, api provider sometimes but i i personally actually think the um authoring is pretty good because we do have that syntax highlighting and all of that hmm. the biggest difference that you have is um, the azure provider is an abstraction layer so there are some conveniences built in there so uh, an azure resource can call multiple apis under the hood so if i configure a vm and, and i want to pass the properties in for that and i want to start the vm and i want to do a few other things that might result in multiple API calls to Azure. In Azure RM, that's, you don't need to think or care about that. In AZ API, you need to have a resource for each of those things that's gonna, each API call. 
So an example of, of that is if you wanted to check to see if a DNS name is available, there's an API call for that. And then after that, you want to actually configure that DNS. Um, that's another API call. That might be wrapped into a single resource in Azure RM, where with AZ API, that's multiple resources that you're going to end up calling. So it's just a an easier way uh, to manage those resources. So gotcha. So when you when you're creating the resources in in the Azure RM provider, you're not just simply rewriting the API call. Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> there's some more work happening there to sort yeah. of smooth the path, uh, as it were. Yeah. Speaking of paths, so let's say I've been using the AZ API to use a preview feature or just a, a totally uh, unsupported resource. Mm -hmm. And then that resource gets added to the Azure RM provider. Is there a simple migration path to get my current configuration moved over to use the resource that's in the other provider? There is. Well, we recognize as we we're building the AZ API provider that we want to encourage customers to get to the Azure RM provider eventually. So we did build a migration tool that allows um, customers to, to migrate from the AZ API provider to the Azure RM provider. And the way that that works is you run the migration tool um, and it's aptly named AZ API number two Azure RM. So it's pretty easy to understand what it does. Um, <laughs> um, and you run that tool, you can run it in plan or migrate. So if you run it in plan mode, I think, um, it will tell you which resources it can migrate from AZ API to Azure RM. Um, and then if you run it in migrate mode, it'll actually do the migration. And the migration will migrate not only the HCL, so it'll convert your uh, AZ API resources to Azure RM resources, um, but it'll also update the state. Um, so you run the migration. When you're done with the migration, you run plan, and plan says, I don't need to do anything, assuming you didn't make any changes in the process as well. So it gives you that full end-to-end -end of, I'm using AZ API, I've moved over to Azure RM, and I don't have to mess with updating state or, or run into any deltas or anything like that. So. Right. Yeah. Because otherwise you would have to like remove the old entries from state and then add the new ones with an import command. And then hopefully the plan runs clean. But yeah, exactly. I appreciate that you're doing that for us. <laughs> <laughs> a question I meant to ask, and, and this is actually a nice little uh, entree to that is uh, one feature that's coming in Terraform 1.5 is an import block. So will that change the way that either the that Azure API to Azure RM tool functions or how the Azure export tool functions with that new block coming? We talked earlier about how HashiCorp and Microsoft work closely on these. Uh, full transparency, we were aware of this functionality coming. We had the team come to us and say, hey, we're thinking about building this thing. What do you think of it? Do you have any feedback on it? Uh, and we're continuing to collaborate with them. So it's not a surprise to us, and we are working on incorporating that functionality. Um, the hope really is, I think, on a philosophical level that both sides will be able to uh, help each other out uh, and continue to improve each other's discovery, usage, and basically the entire experience. Now, there are certain things that the import block doesn't have logic for that the export tool 
does. Uh, one example I can give is the virtual machine. Uh, it wouldn't know the difference between a Linux and a Windows virtual machine uh, from an Azure resource ID uh, because Azure itself doesn't distinguish that. And it also doesn't know discovery. So I can't say, give me a resource group with all of its resources and it will automatically know that. What I'll have to do with the import block uh, right now is, hey, I'm going to specify the resource group and then I'm going to specify every single resource in that import block one by one. Uh, so there are conveniences to the export tool as it is now. Uh, but as I said, uh, we're working closely with their team to continue to improve the uh, experience for both sides. And there is a GitHub issue uh, that if you go to our GitHub and visit, it's pinned right there that kind of discusses um, exactly what we're talking about here for the export tool and the import block. Okay, good to know. Keep an eye on that as uh, 1.5 looms large in our future. So going back to the AZ API provider, Mark, what are some current limitations on the provider and how it functions within Terraform? Primary limitation for the AZ API provider is um, it being a one-to-one -one reflection of the API. So if you have multiple API calls that you need to make, you have to have multiple resources in your configuration and you have to understand how those work, um, which ones you need to call first and those types of things. So to use it, uh, if you have a good understanding or if you have a background knowing how to work with ARM templates or BICEP, moving to the AZ API provider will be seamless. It'll be very familiar for you. If you come from the Azure M provider, it'll be, be a bit more clunky like we talked about there. Other than that, currently, like I mentioned, there's a single property for the body where you pass the rest body in there. Mm -hmm. So some of the benefits that you get from the Terraform language, like the dynamic block and those types of things, um, you may be limited in how you can use those in the body because there's only a single body. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, um, it is... Uh, um, language server and things like that make it fairly straightforward to to use so gotcha uh in terms of new features uh i know at some point you added a resource action as one of the as one of the resources so that you yeah. could actually you know compel the api to do something beyond just creating a resource i guess that's to cover that uh, lack of abstraction that you get with yeah, the exactly. provider are there any other like new features that you have in the works or, or things that you're planning for the provider yeah, so the two big areas that we're working on next is we have the concept of the control plane and the data plane. Essentially, that is um, if you're calling ARM, so anything that you can do with an ARM template and BICEP, that's the control plane. There are other levels of APIs that you can make. So as an example, if you're configuring Kusto, um, you can manage the Kusto cluster and a lot of properties with the Kusto cluster using the control plane. But some things like uh, creating policies and tables and, and things like that are managed through the data plane. So we have added, either just added or are in the process of adding the ability to, to manage the data plane as well. So you'll be able to manage some of those things that are exposed in Azure RM as well. So Azure RM allows you to manage some of those that make sense as well, but kind of abstract it from you. So you don't even know that you're managing the data plane. 
So that is a good and bad thing because there are some issues that you may run into that are confusing to you because you don't know that you're managing the data plane. An example of that is if you create a storage account and then you start managing the tables and blob storage and things like that, the table and blob storage is the data plane. And if you set up a private link for that storage account, suddenly you can't manage the data and blob anymore because it's cut off. So that can be surprising if you don't know that you're working with that, where we're planning on adding that to uh, the AZ API provider so you can manage those data plane things, but do it in a way that you're, that you know that you're actually managing something different. Um, the other area is the MS graph that we're looking into. So all of the AD users and, and groups and all of that stuff that's not exposed through ARM, it's exposed as a MS graph. Uh, we're looking at providing uh, the ability to manage that stuff as well. Okay. I, I was laughing when you were talking through some of that because I've done that exact thing where I've wanted to load stuff into a storage account, but then I put it behind like a private link. And suddenly I couldn't load files anymore. Exactly. <laughs> really, I was like, what's happening? And then, it, of course, it clicked me. I'm like, oh, I blocked myself from doing it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm going to have to add a little exception somewhere. It's like, but anyway, that was, it gave me a good laugh. It's like, yep, walked right into that brick wall before. <laughs> now, you guys have started yeah. a new community group around uh, Terraform on Azure. So what, uh, what drove that decision? Yeah, there are multiple things that made it happen, right? And you don't just start something for one whim or anything like that. I think one of the sentiments that we heard, uh, to be honest, was, hey, uh, Microsoft has this Terraform on Azure support, but we don't know if we are being treated as first party citizens. Uh, we feel like we're being treated as um not first class because there's this bicep thing, there's ARM templates, there's CLI, PowerShell, there's Portal. All these things are getting... As in Terraform users just aren't being taken that seriously. Yeah, and, and that was the feeling. And we're sitting here like, well, if Terraform wasn't that serious, then we wouldn't be working on what we're working on, right? So hmm. I think the, the first thing was just letting the community know like, hey, like we are committed and our team is committed to improving the experience. And there are real humans that they can chat, whether it's via Slack or join a community call who are investing day and night into their product experience and ensuring that it's as great as possible for Microsoft and from HashiCorp. And the, the other thing on top of that was just that we worked on a lot of really uh, what we think is valuable work uh, in terms of the AZ API and Azure export. And when we get feedback from customers, sometimes they just are literally not aware that this stuff is out there. So hmm. uh, it's really important to us that we don't just build things that solve customers' problems, but that they're actually aware that there is a solution, right? And that that is a very critical portion as well to uh, just having a presence in the community and people saying, hey, there is this community call. They talk about the investments that they're making. Hey, there is this blog post. Hey, there is this uh, Slack. And they have all these things going on. So what role is Microsoft playing in the community? Is it more like a, a hosting role just there to create the community? Or are you engaged? Uh, how do you guys deal with it versus just general community members? So I think the philosophy is that we want to push wherever necessary to get that initial 
ball rolling, uh, but we don't want it to just become me and Mark resounding off a brick wall. Uh, we want people <laughs> to actually talk to each other, you know, like a community. <laughs> uh, and the, the hope is that by continuing to create these different platforms where people can be informed, uh, that they can know, okay, they are aware that this is going on and that new update is coming. And that's in the form of our community calls. That's in the form of our blog posts. But also we want to have healthy organic conversation going on with the Slack channels, with the actual community call uh, Q&As or discussion times uh, that are going on there. So I think that's an important point that um, Stephen's making there that we don't want channel where we're just kind of sending information out. Uh, we want to have those conversations. We have our job and uh, we create our products and we invest in things because of the customers. So we want to hear from the folks that are using the products um, so that we can do our job better. And there's the Slack channel where we can hear what conversations are going on. We can help customers on that Slack channel. We have the community call where we share, but we also want customers to share as well. And Ned, you came on and, and did just that as well. So we, we definitely want it to be a real community where it's not Microsoft sitting there just saying, this is how it shall be or anything like that. <laughs> and if so, you haven't yet, make sure to watch that community call. Ned killed it. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, it, was, it was a good time. I, I was happy to do it. So I think you touched on... I think most of the things that are part of the community right now, but just like the, there's the Slack group that I'm a member of and and that have I've seen people joining and there's a whole help section where people are like, I have this problem, help. And uh, people have been responding pretty quickly. So that's nice. Um, there's a newsletter. How often does the newsletter publish and kind of what's in that? So it is recently started uh, our first release was in february and we were aiming for every two months now if you're good at math you'll notice that it's been four months <laughs> and there has not been a newsletter since february but hopefully by the time that we have this uploaded in public uh, we'll have that new one out because we're in the last stages of wrapping that up and we do plan to have it be every other month we just ran into specific hiccups that this time that delayed that and we don't plan to just say okay well it'll just be every four months now so every two months we hope it's less than a five minute read and the goal there is really just here's a link you can share it with your team you can share it with your whoever and they can just read it in less than five minutes and know everything that our team has been working on and that they're aware that these new improvements and functionality have come out Awesome. And if people want to sign up to, to join the community, is there a real easy URL to give them? Yeah. So there's aka.ms slash Azure Terraform. That is where they could basically put in, hey, here's my experience level. Here's what I am currently using Terraform and Azure for. And then there's a Slack. That one is aka.ms slash join AZTF Slack. And uh, as Ned, I know you're a community member and both are great. I would encourage everyone to do both so that we yeah. can obviously know that who you are and what your experience level is, but also so that you can engage with all the community members and not just be an email in a Excel sheet. <laughs> 
Yeah, I will include links to both of those in the show notes. Uh, what about you, Stephen? Do you blog anywhere? Are you active on social media? Where where can folks find you if they want to reach out with with questions or comments? Yeah, I would definitely say reach out on LinkedIn. Uh, I am on LinkedIn, and I'm not as active on Twitter or. But we do have the Azure Terraform Twitter account and spoiler alert, Mark and I share that. So you can obviously tweet at that account and we'll uh, reply. So um, I think those are the best ways to get in touch other than, of course, just joining the community. Because if you join, you you have the line to directly message me in the Slack, too. Well, there you go. I'm totally fine with that. (laughs) We've been hearing more and more people going, ping me on LinkedIn. I'm not so active on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you, Mark? Uh, any good places to find you on the internet other than the Azure Terraform community? No, it's it's pretty much the same as Stephen. LinkedIn, Twitter, standard things. So, okay. Well, we'll include links for all of that in the show notes as well. Stephen awesome. and Mark, thank you so much for being a guest today on Day Two Cloud. And hey, listeners, thanks for tuning in. Virtual high fives to you. If you enjoyed this show and you'd like to hear future shows, maybe you have some ideas for those future shows, guests we could have, topics we should cover. We don't know unless you tell us. And you can do that by reaching out to us uh, via Twitter at Day2CloudShow if you're still on, on, on the bird site. Or we have a form on Day2Cloud.io. You can go and fill that out and that That'll go straight through to me and Ethan and we will review what you want to do and find appropriate guests for it. Speaking of Terraform things, I want to take a moment to do a little pitch for my latest course that just published on Pluralsight. I have published the fourth revision of my Terraform Getting Started course. So if you are just getting started with Terraform or you need a bit of a refresher, check out that course on Pluralsight. Until next time, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.